Good morning, Sunship, and welcome to A Course in Miracles Daily Reading Conference Call, where we read from the original edition of ACIM, which is published by Course in Miracles Society. Today we are reading from Chapter 31, Paragraphs 26 through 32, The Self-Accused. You can access an original edition by going to jcim.net, and you will see on the menu bar it says Online Edition. Reverend Regia, do we have any updates for the sale? Ah, let me see. Hmm. I thought there was. I could have sworn I had an update. (laughs) Um, But I don't think Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, I don't think so. No worries. Um, Just to to remind everyone, the sale's going on, a white lightning sale. It's 20% off. I got that right? Yep, and no shipping shipping charges. So. So treat yourself to a new edition for the for the new year. So our call is Monday through Friday from 9.15 to 10.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, where we read each paragraph twice until we are finished with our assignment. We invite our workbook lesson into our practice today. It's Lesson 327, All I Need But Call and You Will Answer Me. And finally, we ask that you mute your phones at all times unless you're speaking by using your own mute function on your device. So has anyone joined the call that would like to get on the reading list? Well, I can't get on the reading list, but it's Paula and I'm listening. I'll be driving. Ah, glad you're here. No worries. <laughs> anyone else? Uh, it's Mary. I can hi, read. Mary. Great. Anyone else out there? Want to say hi? Get on the reading list? All right, so here we have an order. Josie, Lee, Sharon, Carl, Ida, Reverend Regia, and Mary. And in this holiest of instance, I'm going to turn the call over to Reverend Regia for morning prayer. Reverend Regia? Okay, thank you, Chris. Well, we'll just uh, close our eyes and draw the awareness within. We relax the body. We begin to feel that peace that descends on us when we relax in this way, when we are still for a few moments, when we release our thoughts and just open. And what we open to in these moments are the lessons that we have been given for today. It is, I need but call and you will answer me. You know, how how many times I have heard from guidance that I need only call to be answered. You know, buy a ticket to win. (laughs) I'm told the Holy Spirit's voice is as loud as my willingness to listen. All is given and revealed and remembered, but for the asking. And it is all within me. I am answered in the very center of my being. I am the answer. The lesson goes on to say, I am not asked to take salvation on the basis of an unsupported faith. For God has promised he will hear my call and answer me himself. Let me but learn from my experience that this is true. And faith in him must surely come to me. This is the faith that will endure and take me farther and still farther on the road that leads to him. 
For thus I will be sure that he has not abandoned me and loves me still, awaiting but my call to give me all the help I need to come to him. And so we pray, Father, Mother, God, quote, I thank you that your promises will never fail in my experience if I but test them out. Let me attempt, therefore, to try them and to judge them not. Your word is one with you. You give the means whereby conviction comes and surety of your abiding love is gained at last. And so it is. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Thank, Thank you, you, Reverend Regent. Three. The self-accused, 26. Only the self-accused condemn. As you prepare to make the choice that will result in different outcomes, there is first one thing that must be overlearned. It must become the habit of a response so typical of everything you do that it becomes your first response to all temptation to every situation that occurs. Learn this and learn it well. For, he, for it is here Delay of happiness is shortened by a span of time you cannot realize. You never hate your brother for his sins, but only for your own. Whatever form of sins appear to take, it but obscures the fact that you believe them to be yours and therefore meriting a quote-unquote just attack. Josie, 26 and 26, uh, excuse me, 26 and 27, please. Only the self-accused condemn. As you prepare to make a choice that will result in different outcomes, there is first one thing that must be overlearned. It must become a habit of response so typical of everything you do that it becomes your first response to all temptation and to every situation that occurs. Learn this and learn it well. For it is here delay of happiness is shortened by a span of time you cannot realize. You never hate your brother for his sins, but only for your own. Whatever form his sins appear to take, it but obscures the fact that you believe them to be yours and therefore meriting a just attack. 27. Why should his sins be sins if you did not believe they could not be forgiven in you. Why are they real in him if you did not believe that they are your reality? And why do you attack them everywhere except you hate yourself? Are you a sin? You answer yes whenever you attack. 
For by attack do you assert that you are guilty and must give as you deserve. And what can you deserve but what you are? If you did not believe that you deserve the task, it never would occur to you to give a task to anyone at all. Why should you? What would be the gain to you? What could the outcome be that you would want? And how could murder bring you benefit? Thanks, Jesse. Lee, 27 and 28, please. Um, We'll have to give me one moment. My computer just crashed. Let me read next in line, will you? Thank you, Chris. Okay. Um, Sharon, 27 and 28, please. Why should his sins be sins if you did not believe they could not be forgiven in you? Why are they real in him if you did not believe that they are your reality? And why do you attack them everywhere except you hate yourself? Are you a sin? You answer yes whenever you attack. For by attack do you assert that you are guilty and must give as you deserve. And what can you deserve but what you are? If you do not believe that you deserved attack, it never would occur to you to give attack to anyone at all. Why should you? What would be the gain to you? What could the outcome be that you would want? And how could murder bring you benefit? Sins are in bodies. They are not perceived in minds. They are not seen as purposes but actions. Bodies act and minds do not. And therefore must the body be at fault for what it does. It is not seen to be a passive thing, obeying your commands and doing nothing by itself at all. If you are sin, you are a body, for the mind acts not. And purpose must be in the body, not the mind. The body must act in its own and motivate itself. If you are sin, you lock the mind within the body and you give its purpose to its prison house, which acts instead of it. A jailer does not follow orders, but enforces orders on the prisoner. Thank you, Sharon. Lee, 28 and 29, please. Sins are in bodies. They're not perceived in minds. They are not seen as purposes, but actions. Bodies act, and minds do not. And therefore must the body be at fault for what it does. It is not seen to be a passive thing, obeying your commands and doing nothing of itself at all. If you are sin, you are 
a body, for the mind acts not. And purpose must be in the body, not the mind. The body must act on its own and motivate itself. If you are sin, you lock the mind within the body and you give its purpose to its prison house, which acts instead of it. A jailer does not follow orders, but enforces orders on the prisoner. 29. Yet is the body prisoner and not the mind. The body thinks no thoughts. It has no power to learn, to pardon, nor enslave. It gives no orders that the mind needs serve, nor sets conditions that it must obey. It holds in prison. It holds in prison, but the willing mind that would abide in it. It sickens at the bidding of the mind that would become its prisoner. Quarter mile, make a right turn. We've got a GPS on the line. And it grows it. old and... Uh, thank you. And it grows old and dies because that mind is sick within itself. Learning is all that causes change. And so the body, where no learning can occur, could never change unless the mind preferred the body change in its appearances to suit the purpose given by the mind for it can learn and there is all change made thank you lee carl 29 and 30 please yet is the body prisoner and not the mind the body thinks no thoughts it has no power to learn to pardon nor enslave. It gives no orders that the mind needs serve, nor sets conditions that it must obey. It holds in prison but the willing mind that would abide in it. It sickens at the bidding of the mind that would become its prisoner, and it grows old and dies because that mind is sick within itself. Learning is all that causes change. And so the body, where no learning can occur, could never change unless the mind preferred the body change in its appearances to suit the purpose given by the mind. For it can learn, and there, it, and there is all change made. 30. The mind that thinks it is a sin has but one purpose, that the body be the source of sin and keep it in the prison house it chose, and guard and hold itself at bay, a sleeping prisoner to the snarling dogs of hate and evil, sickness and attack, of pain and age, of grief and suffering. Here are the thoughts of sacrifice preserved, for here guilt rules and orders that the world be like itself, a place where nothing can find mercy, or survive the ravages of fear, except in murder and in death. For here are you made sin, 
and sin cannot abide the joyous and the free, for they are enemies which sin must kill. In death is sin preserved, and those who think that they are sin must die for what they think they are. Thank you, Carl. Ida, 30 and 31, please. 30. The mind that thinks it is a sin has but one purpose, that the body be the source of sin and keep it in the prison house it chose and guard and hold itself at bay. A sleeping prisoner to the snarling dogs of hate and evil, sickness and attack, of pain and age, of grief and suffering. Here are the thoughts of sacrifice preserved. For here, guilt rules and orders that the world be like itself, a place where nothing can find mercy or survive the ravages of fear, except in murder and in death. For here are you made sin, and sin cannot abide the joyous and the free, for they are enemies which sin must kill. In death is sin preserved, and those who think that they are sin must die for what they think they are. 31. Let us be glad that you will see what you believe and that it has been given you to change what you believe. The body will but follow. It can never lead you where you would not be. It does not guard your sleep nor interfere with your awakening. Release your body from imprisonment and you will see no one as prisoner to what you have escaped. You will not want to hold in guilt your chosen enemies nor keep in chains to the illusion of a changing love the ones you think are friends. Excuse me, Reverend Reed, to 31 and 32, please. Okay, 31. Let us be glad that you will see what you believe, that it has been given you to change what you believe. The body will but follow. It can never lead you where you would not be. It does not guard your sleep nor interfere with your awakening. Release your body from imprisonment. You will see no one is prisoner to what you have escaped. You will not want to hold and guilt your chosen enemies, nor keep in chains to the illusions of a changing love the ones you think are friends. 32. The innocent release in gratitude for their release, and what they see upholds their freedom from imprisonment and death. Open your mind to change, and there will be no ancient penalty exacted from your brother or yourself. For God has said, there is no sacrifice that can be asked. There is no sacrifice that can be made. Thank you, Reverend Rija. And Mary, 32, please. The innocent release in gratitude for their release. And what they see upholds their freedom from imprisonment and death. Open your mind to change, and there will be no ancient penalty exacted from your brother or yourself. For God has said there is no sacrifice that can be asked. There is no sacrifice that can be made. Thank you, Mary. 
Open your mind to change. Floor's open. Right. Morning. This is Ida. Wow. Um, This section is like... I don't know. It's it's better than watching a murder mystery because in that case, the murder is a mystery. In this case, it is explained. It is elucidated. Um, the whole mechanics of the ego um, and so the mechanics of my ego, um, it's like, you know, this section takes no prisoners. <laughs> It's like, oh, my God, all right, it's all laid out for me. There are no more secrets at all. And uh, it's a little bit, uh, you know, it's consoling to me that this is how all of our egos work, (laughs) not just mine. Um, So I want to choose to release in gratitude myself so that I can release in gratitude all of us. All of us, the God us. Uh, thank you, and I'm complete. Thanks, Ida. Thank you, Ida. Thank you, Ida. I enjoyed that. Thank you, Ida. <laughs> this is Reverend Rita Joy, and uh, you know the first paragraph that at the end where it said, "You never hate your brother for his sins, but only for your own." And I've had so many examples of that in my life. Well, <laughs> any time I'm upset about anything someone else does, <laughs> that's, a, that's the example. And for instance, uh, I used to work a long time ago when my son was, uh, actually before he was born when I was pregnant, I used to work in Palo Alto at a, uh, it was called The Birthing Place. Uh, it was uh, started by Suzanne Arms, and it's a, you had your, your baby at home. But this was a place to go for your uh, checkups, et cetera. You didn't have to go to a doctor's office. And anyway, it was, a, and it was a resource center. So I worked there. I volunteered there. But the thing is that uh, I wasn't, uh, on the days that I wasn't, uh, opening up the, the place and, and administrator, I totally judged the person who was. And if they were late, oh, my God. Because, see, I put myself in their place. I wouldn't be late. Somebody may need this resource center. Or where is our integrity? When any time I thought someone was out integrity, I was upset. But it was me. I, I, I was seeing myself as out integrity. And, I, and so I punished them, but I was really condemning myself. And when I shift, because of this course, and because, when I shift my perception of who I am or who my brother is, it doesn't matter, it's one. Uh, when I see our innocence and when I see what matters and what doesn't matter, <laughs> uh, I am no longer, mm, I, know I'm not, I'm, I don't come from that judgment. We had a card yesterday at our course group, which I love, and we at we end our course group by pulling out the, the passing around the basket with the quote cards and the quote said those who see themselves as whole make no demands and that's the crux of it when i demand some my brother to be different i'm not seeing myself as whole but when i do think about it when i do when i think when i see myself as whole and complete and sinless and innocent i release look at the at the bottom, the innocent release and gratitude for their release. So 
uh, when I release my brother, uh, there's such a joining, really, because they know, they feel it. When I judge my brother, they know it, they feel it. So uh, I just uh, wanted to share that. Thank you. I'm complete. Thank you, Reverend Regia. Thank you. Thanks, Reverend Regia. Thank you, Reverend Richa. That was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, Reverend Richa. Good morning. This is Sharon. And something really big just happened for me. I got a big aha. So we were reading. Actually, I ended up reading because um, Lee had a technical issue, a paragraph that was really important to me. So that that must have been a setup. Thank you, Brother Jesus. And that was paragraph 27. And the sec- part of it that was important to me was starting at uh, looks like the third sentence down. And why do you attack them everywhere except you hate yourself? Are you a sin? You answer yes whenever you attack. For by attack do you assert that you are guilty and must give as you, de- as you deserve. And what can you deserve but what you are? If you did not believe that you deserved attack, it never would occur to you to give attack to anyone at all. Why should you? What would be the gain to you? What could the outcome be that you would want? So here's the deal with this. I often real I often uh, still self attack, and the way I self attack is by fearing another's attack. So mine isn't so much a control issue of others or judgment of something that another did wrong, except in this in a more subtle way, which is uh, a a subtle. Uh, concerned that they are attacking me, which is, of course, wrong. But um, I believe more that they are correct in their behavior. And so if they're correct in their behavior, they're also correct in what in their attack of me. Which, uh, just saying that this is a big ouch to me. I'm so glad to be outing this out loud to myself and to everyone else. So while... Um, so, then I ask for help in shifting this because I catch myself doing this all the time now, which is great. But when I ask for help, I don't re- usually mean it to the very depths of my being. I can only, I seem to only be able to go so deep, not all the way down, but a certain to a certain level of depth of sincerity of asking for help, if that makes sense. It's not down to my core. And so I was asking myself this morning just now, why is that? And the reason it occurs to me is very simple. What I'm saying to myself really, well, what I'm saying to myself is that I would be disoriented if I were to totally let go of this mental habit of mine, this egoic habit. 
But what I'm really saying to myself is that I would prefer the usual habit of hurting myself over confidence and self-love and true power and true peace. So I need to say that again. I prefer the usual habit of hurting myself, really feeling pain and fear over confidence and true self-love and true quiet peace. Ah, this is huge. It's so amazing how twisted in a knot I have been all my life. And really, it's just a moment of asking to my very depths that this be undone in this very moment and in the next when I realize what this really means. So what I'm going to do is put this realization print it out and stick it here and there and so that I could out myself to myself and experience the release of knowing what this really means and what I really want and what I can really have. And my dear husband is such an example of true, sweet, powerful, confident self-love and his extension of love to others. So I'm living with him, and I'm living with what can really happen. Thank you. I'm complete. Thank you, Sharon. Uh, wonderful, Sharon. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you, Sharon. I, I felt Thank you, Sharon. Sorry. What did you say, Carl? I said, thank you, Sharon. I felt your release. Thank you, Carl. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Sharon. I'm with you. Sharon, what you spoke reminds me of uh, the power of Nick Sanchez's prayer. Do you recall that one? It says something very similar to uh, um, Dear Father, Dear Holy Spirit. Help me forgive myself for using this person or this recurring situation um, to separate me from my holy self and to uh, deny your love. Thank you, Lee. That's beautiful. Yeah. Isn't that? I mean, it's just its a really powerful way to... Um, Ask that something be freed without uh, an extra layer of guilt for recognizing, you know, the mechanism in ourselves. I'd love that she directs that to a prayer that uh, we need, that we uh, that we get assistance in forgiving ourselves for what we discover, um, and then it can be really released. Huh? Wonderful work, Sharon. Thank you. Lily, would you? Be willing to say that again so I can write it down. Why don't I seek it out as, or ask whether someone 
I'm just betting someone else here knows it very well. It was, um, it has become so well known. Can I just open it up if someone knows that prayer? Offer it. Otherwise, I'll seek it out and uh, offer it a little later. I have it here if you want. Thank you, Mary. Holy Spirit, please help me to forgive myself for using my, and you fill in the blank there, to attack myself and to separate from your holy love as my holy self. Thank you, Mary. Where did you get that? Or is that written? Oh, I've had it on a card for so long. Uh, it was from new listening to her on a, on a, on a you know, a YouTube. Uh, if you're on, are you on Facebook? Yeah. My friends with you? Yeah. I can, I can message it to you if you want. Thank you so much. We're friends now. Thank you. Sharon, this Pardon, is Carl. Pardon. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Carl. I was just going to say there's uh, on Nook's website, there is a blog post that that prayer comes from, and that prayer is contained inside the blog post. So if you go to Nook's website and uh, just search in, in the um, search box, uh, Forgiveness Prayer, you'll come up to the with the entire blog post, which you know if you were to print it out, could be two to three pages long. And not only will it give you the prayer, but it'll give you her thoughts uh, around it. I'm complete. Thank you, Carl. Well, thank you guys for that. That's beautiful. Thank you. Yes, I still have to sometimes use this word. It was perfect. It was perfect for me. But what I was going to share in here, um, it was perfect. I'm complete. Hi, guys. It's Rob. Morning. Morning. Hi, Rob. How are you guys doing? You seem like you're happy with this. I'm not happy with it. Maybe you can help me be happy with it. No sunrise, no sunset, no airline schedule, no train schedule, no bank schedule, no internal schedule, no starting time, no ending time. I need a transition. Somebody help me. Because if we do not have an opening time for the clinic or the bank or the get-together or the party, then whenever we show up, it's perfect. 
and the guy who was doing the catering comes on the wrong day because that's the day he wanted to come. And, hey, you know, we just do the party without the catering. Somebody give me a transition. A mental transition. Because I still want... Um, a certain amount of order in my uh, order. You know what I mean? I'm complete. Um, this is Reverend Rita Joy. Uh, Rob, I think you used, uh, you know, the clinic, and and it might have been in reference, um, perhaps, to my share. So I thought. Maybe I'd step up as one uh, one person to answer. Uh, uh, I, in that situation, I judge the person. I judge them, not the action. That's a big, huge difference. And in judging them, I, I accused myself of the same thing, basically. I was attacking myself because there's one self. And in my judging them, I judged myself. In uh, releasing them, I release myself, not the action, the person. Thanks, I'm complete. Okay, here's my problem with that. The Course plainly says, would you judge yourself for this? I'm sorry, I'm answering yes all the time. Yes, if I can't get my butt to where I'm supposed to be part of the airplane schedule, then I judge myself. Uh, by the way, the airline will also, because they they want to give the customer reasonable amount of chance to get where they're supposed to have a business meeting in San Francisco, and they're in New York. See, this is see, I think this is a hard thing for me to understand that God's world does not run on schedules? I actually think it does. I think orderly functioning, reasonably orderly functioning, is is required. And Reverend Reggie, you may be absolutely correct that we're judging the person, but I'm trying to get out of judging Myself, and I think you're showing me that the root is to stop judging the person. But I'm the one responsible for not getting started right. Um, I don't. I don't know how to get around this. Somebody help me get around this. Bob, can you help me? I'm, um, I, I I need more information from you because it's unclear to me whether in reading this section whether the, the Course seems to be saying something that isn't sitting with you, or um, I, I, I'm not certain what it is that, um, that you're taking issue with and asking help toward. So just let me make it clear. I'm, I'm completely uncertain whether it's this section that seems to be saying something that isn't working for you right now or whether something else has drawn your attention. 
Can you help me understand a little better? Sure. Um, it wasn't the section. It was a discussion you all were having about um, judging others. See, and I, I am having difficulty letting go of my, my judgment on myself if I do not help the others create some sort of an order or, or schedule that, that fits, you know, the world that needs to go on. Does that make any sense? Rob, this is Wendy. Uh, one time my spiritual teachers uh, encouraged me to make an agreement to meet somebody but not make an agreement to what time and to trust and believe that when you're listening to the Holy Spirit, the true orchestrator of all of us will bring us to a perfect, highest good timing, place, and order. As separate selves, we do our best to kind of, you know, use red lights and green lights and schedules. But perhaps if we move to a vibration where God was orchestrating all of us, no one would be late. Everybody would be in perfect timing. And so Sometimes that's being late, or what we would call late, but it's, it's handing over your, um, your thought about what's right and wrong and trusting that God has a, a more complete view that includes everybody as to where to be, when to be there, uh, and, and perhaps that only relates to the happy dream, because once you move into reality, no time, no place, no schedules needed. Bliss is there, and you don't need to travel to it. I'm complete. Well, that helps. I think it brought out to me that um, I'm, I'm judging when God doesn't judge. Even though we need a schedule, we need um, some, you know, some reasonable order to things uh, so that we don't run into each other at an intersection. Um, but um, I, I think my, my main problem is, is I don't recognize that there are levels of understanding of each situation. And I think I'm assigning my view or judgment of a situation. I'm saying that I would have looked at it in a way to have accomplished it, when as a matter of fact, if I were at that person's level or that person's situation, I wouldn't have looked at it. And that's what it means to... Let God do the judging, thereby not judging myself for failures I didn't mean to have happen. I think you you are helping with that, Wendy. Thank you. You're most welcome. 
Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Um, <laughs> thank you, Rob. Uh, I, in my life, have thought about time a lot. <laughs> For some reason, um, I'm not completely sure why. Um, even after realizing it was an illusion, I still thought about time a lot. And I had experiences when I was traveling with a group in Mexico, for instance, um, and even here when I moved to Tucson, what they talk about manana time and what the, the group, the Freedom Teachings, was always just in earlier uh, this year, um, called Guardian Time because these beings that call themselves the guardians were, were telling Asia when to start because there were downloads that she still needed to get so that she could give them to us at the appropriate moment. The manana time was just letting go of our urge to control. But giving that up to God, yes. To the Holy Spirit, I um, it says in the course, I believe, that time and space are part of the same illusion that when we we see it as time when it's far away from us, farther away, and the nearer it comes to where we are, the more we see it as space. Um, and here I am in time and space telling you this through my body. But hopefully there's a little bit of soul, my desire to see you happy, loving you as a brother in there too. And that's what I can say. Um, just to add one last thing that... So I got things earlier in my life. I wanted things that I had to wait for when I grew up. I think we almost all do that. But some things I had to wait for even after I grew up, <laughs> maybe something I'm still waiting for, and being patient. And then we recall, of course, saying that um, infinite patience is the only thing that, that makes unshakable results or something like that. Okay, so thanks, everybody. I'm complete. Yeah, that's a good reminder. Oh, hey, it's Lee. We've got the, uh, the third section then of this final chapter, and it's called The Self-Accused. And he summarizes the self-accused in four words. The very first sentence of the section only the self-accused condemn. That's true. Only the self-accused condemn. So I live in a world where I honor um, the value of condemnation, or I don't. I, um, I either bow down to the God of guilt, or I agree to challenge my faithfulness to guilt and the value of condemnation. 
And I agree to let Holy Spirit begin to acquaint me with the concept of innocence that is unbroken and unshakable. There's a tie-in between how I typically identify myself and this concept of guilt and condemnation or accusation. When I experience myself as though I am the body, that's what he describes in this section, as willfully imprisoning my mind within the body. I make the body principle or primal. And I make my mind subject to what my body knows about and does. When he talks about bodies act and minds do not, this is all in accord with condemnation. He says elsewhere in the Course, what I most condemn are acts, which is why I can assign so much guilt to my body and to other bodies. When I see an action that I condemn, then I condemn the actor. And if I think that his mind is within his body and that his body is principally what he is as well as mine is what I principally am, then I'm correct in condemning him in condemning his action. I've reduced him to what his body does. And I'm willing to reduce myself to what my body does. And that becomes the basis for a whole orientation to this life and world where each of us are principally our bodies and are accountable for our actions. And then I go about trying to figure out who's responsible for the mess the world's in or the mess my feelings are in. And I lay blame at the feet of as many as I can find to offset my own sense that everything is screwed up within myself. Projecting the blame and the guilt. There is an alternative to that. And the next section is called, by the way, the real alternative. There's an alternative to what I go about doing commonly when I imagine that each of us is contained within our bodies. And that's to begin to touch into an order of self that stands outside of uh, that kind of limitation, beyond that kind of limitation. And it has everything to do with inviting as nearly as possible in meditation or throughout the day this acquaintance with the concept of innocence and sinlessness uh, the concept of an order that isn't an order that I impose on the world. Uh, a concept that things are being arranged uh, outside of my desire to try to march the world along according to my orders and use the condemnation of myself and others to try to achieve that. Only the self-accused condemn. I think that's brilliant. I have to be a follower of the God of guilt before I can try and throw that guilt at you. And, uh, and what would it be to really give up the, the legitimacy and the value of figuring out who's guilty all the time, whether myself or others? I'm complete. Thank you, Lee. Thank you, Lee. Very nice. Very, yeah. Thank you. I mean, you said it there for all of us in that moment.
Uh, okay, but I still got a little question here. Uh, since I haven't technically this time read that section, what I see is this really involves a releasing of the entire world. Because if there's going to be God's order, then there isn't going to be man's order. Just as sure as the Son of Man is not the Son of God until the mind change occurs. I, I see the people trying to get the schedules right. I see the people trying to get the, um, the arrangement of the shelves in time for the opening. I see the people trying to get the deliveries. We have one here uh, who, who is, we see, pressed by that. And, and we possibly can ask Bryce, um, what is it like? to miss a schedule because of something that you personally didn't get straight. Like, uh, let's say, you didn't switch the time over in the, uh, in the uh, spring, and so you get to your job an hour late. Um, what is the mental procedure that people who are in advanced thinking with the course used to tell themselves that they would like to dispense with that in the future, um, starting with the present. That's what I need is I need a sort of a little checklist to go through or some kind of a mental outline so that I don't beat myself up about it. I'm complete. This is Mary. For me, that's called self-forgiveness. Uh, you go through a process in your mind of, of releasing, uh, of getting in touch with the feelings that that thought brings to me, that I've done something wrong, if that's what it is, or whatever. And if I don't understand it, then I release it to the Holy Spirit and ask for understanding. If I do, then what I understand, I release to the Holy Spirit. For me, the the important thing is not to stay in guilt on anything that happens here in my mind, in the dream. Because that keeps me separate from God's love. And this whole course is to bring me closer to remembering who I am and to remembering God's love. Thank you. I'm complete. Thank you, Mary. Yes, thank you, Mary. Um, I guess it's like um, trying to figure out without the guilt how to not make that error again because it disrupted so many people. That's what I'm speaking of. I saw this on an airline captain's face the other day in a uh, video somebody sent on a... Uh, on an outline of this new new type aircraft that was being described by this German captain. And um, the man was in utter pain because everything that was going on in his mind was looking like it was not going to go on schedule. And 
I don't think, I mean, it probably was a combination of what the airline wanted and what he personally wanted as a as the group leader of that uh, flight. And uh, I, I wished I could relieve him. I, I loved him for his care of wanting it to come off on schedule so that all the, I guess it was more than 200 people were going to get where they're going with with a reasonable order. And so I just I felt for him, and I, I felt that I hadn't been in that situation many times, and I couldn't make it all work out. And I wanted badly to help all the people that were wishing it would go off on schedule. See, this is what I, I need. How do I think about doing it better the next time without the guilt, using guilt as a pry bar, using something besides guilt as a pry bar, as a motive force. I'm complete. This is Wendy. Um, I've, I've certainly done a lot of pry bar in my life, you know, like, okay, this is going to make you on time. Do it right. And uh, turns out I really like inspiration a lot better than pry bar than having my ego tell me I'm not, you know, I'm not doing things right and I'm guilty. And I've used this example before, so I know you've all heard it, but I find that when I value something very highly besides God, something in the world, my thing instead of being on time is uh, being polite, being kind and generous. But without having... God in the forefront of my thinking and just valuing this thing, which I think is a godly attitude, but without the love and care of the divine consciousness surrounding it, um, I seem to draw to myself rude people all the time because that's the way consciousness works. If you're just in your mind about something, it divides between people who are on time and people who aren't. And then it the... the you may try to be on time all the time, but the, the people that aren't on time seem to follow you. <laughs> and it's the way the duality of consciousness without the heart. The heart has no opposite. Love, God, no opposite. You don't attract the opposite to you. So it's sort of a, a willingness to let go of something that you maybe overvalue because you, not you, let me say me, because I, I reference it, and, I, and it's a point of pride with me. You know, I try to be gracious and kind all the time. Uh, but I'm holding the belief of rudeness in my consciousness as I, as I overvalue kindness, or maybe, maybe overvaluing. But you know what I'm saying. It's, it's uh, believing there's right and wrong to it. And when you let that go and you let the Holy Spirit guide your life, you find, oh, I don't draw opposites to me anymore because God is in the forefront of all my activity, all my thinking. And this, what seemed to be an issue, is now a a non-issue. I hope that was clear. I'm complete. Right. Uh, It was. It was. My my attempt at correcting my mind is to avoid the pathos 
that I get into when I see another who has been in my situations of inadequacy. You, you love the being because he's like you, and you want to relieve the strain on his face so that the others are not feeling guilty for not getting the baggage completed or getting the people loaded correctly or getting the, the cockpit ready or getting the... You see, it's all on his face, the strain. It's, it's, a, it's not a meanness, it's a strain. And you love both all the workers in this endeavor of getting this thing to go across the ocean at nearly the speed of sound so that they can get to where they need to to accomplish what they want to. So and it's, it's a little bit of a strain, but how do you bear it lightly? There's got to be an attitude that lets you bear it lightly. And what is that? I'm complete. Great topic for an after call. The difference between um, what we could think of as a helpful prodding or urging of conscience and what he discusses as the uh, burden of condemnation. Right. Prefect. I will be there. This is Sharon again. It occurs to me, since this is the Thanksgiving season, I'm thinking about gratitude and what blocks me from gratitude. And I realize that the biggest thing that blocks me from gratitude is my self-judgment. It's my guilt. (laughs) And that's the whole crux of my realization this morning. It all boils down to I don't deserve to be peaceful and happy and loving and self-loving because I feel guilty. And when I stop and think, what have I done that could make me feel that guilty? My mind goes back to this memory of when I was a little kid and my mom would be so exasperated with someone else, no matter who it was, I kept going back to, well, I would rather judge myself or be mad at myself than to be mad at somebody else. So I trained myself to be mad at myself whenever there was some kind of conflict inside of me. But really, it goes down way deeper than that. It's my self-judgment from separating from God. So my forgiveness for separating myself from God, it always gets down to that at its core, doesn't it? It needs, I need to forgive myself. And then I can be grateful. And then I can be thankful. And then I can have a wonderful experience in my day. A series of them. Thank you. I'm complete. Mm, thank you, Sharon. Yes, Sharon. That helps. Thank you, Sharon. It's pretty interesting in light of the in light of this uh, opening sentence. Only the self-accused condemn. Um, I can only condemn if I've accepted a system that values condemnation as a way of maintaining order, or if I value condemnation as though it were. Um, Oh boy, you know, as 
well, let's not even get into all the reasons we're told in the Course that we we imagine condemnation to be a, um, a sort of divine ordering, as though my terrible condemnation of what I see as unforgivable is uh, God-given to me. As though it's, you know, God speaking to my heart saying, this kind of behavior is unforgivable. That's kind of where condemnation takes us. But look how he bookends this section with that to begin, and at the end, quite the opposite, the innocent release in gratitude for their release as the first sentence of the last paragraph or stanza actually since this is all sheer poetry and in iambic pentameter only the self-accused condemn the innocent release and gratitude for their release we have these two different whole entirely different thought systems available to us and within the one that I grew up with the egoist thought system um, I imagined that my mind was secondary to my body. In the thought system of the Holy Spirit, my mind can't not remotely be contained to the space and time of my body. The body becomes a tool for the mind and not its uh, prison house. But he can go a little further and say that in this thought system of Holy Spirit, I recognized that when I believed my mind was contained within the body, my mind was so sick that the body suffered by what the mind had taken on. And that's the nature of illness and sickness, which is why he says in 31, release your body from imprisonment. And where he sells elsewhere, it's not the mind, but the body that's imprisoned. My body is actually imprisoned while my mind is sick enough to feel that it is within the body. When my mind is freed, my body is no longer imprisoned by a sick mind. And he says, I, I can't find the particular part, but he says within this section, my body suffers as a result of what the mind has taken on when it agrees to see itself confined to the body. So once this one thought system frees my mind to all that it is, and that seems to have no limit, the other, the ego's thought system, confines my mind, confines what I agree to think of myself in terms of my own being and my own um, magnitude. And, um, and that seems to be one of the things he's really featuring across this section for me. Thanks, I'm complete. Yeah, I'm getting a picture as you speak. Thank you, Lee. Sorry, go ahead, Bob. No, um, go ahead. This is Anna. And um, let, me, let me order my thoughts here. Um, when we separated, and we became splintered in time, we accepted this as confining as our bodies. But we as the sons of God are limitless. If we believe we are constrained by time, it is so. If we believe that we are limitless, then time is for our use 
and is not meant to be a controlling factor. If I see my brother as distressed because he is not only constrained by his body, but also by his belief in time, my answer is therefore to recognize that I am limitless. Now really, I must ascend. I must accept my limitlessness. I must accept that my brother is also limitless. And therefore, I turn to the Holy Spirit and offer this constraint of time to him for myself and for my brother and recognize that we both can be free. Through the Holy Spirit is the best of all possible outcomes provided. If time need be ascended and overcome, the Holy Spirit can ensure this because he recognizes that we are limitless and that our Father wishes us no pain, wishes us no mind agony. And so my answer when I see my brother, my sister, my child distressed is to call upon the Holy Spirit for the release from time and that perfect order will play out before creation and all will be released. If I in and of myself try to control time, I then believe it is real and I become distressed my brother becomes distressed and neither of us can see the perfect solution and the perfect release. Any distress that I recognize can be corrected for because I am limitless as a son of God. I am one with all of creation. I can walk on water. I can walk through fire and not be harmed. And I can certainly walk through time and at any moment ask for release. And the Holy Spirit can then enter in and provide the perfect answers for the perfect succession. And everything will work out for the greatest good. Thank you. I'm complete. Oh, that did it. That that did it. That did it. That's perfect. I'm so glad you said that. So glad. Thank you, Anna. Hey, before we end, I, Anna, I just love it when you speak. I, I have a question. So is it my responsibility when I'm with someone who's in distress, how I... 
I just keep asking for release for, for my brother. Like, for example, if somebody comes in and says something and they're, they're really hurting, even though I'm not taking on their pain, I'm still uncomfortable. I guess I am taking on if I'm uncomfortable. Like, if you could kind of walk me through that experience, like wh- how – I think you know what I'm asking. I'm complete. Any perceived distress can be corrected for as long as – as long as we give it over, any. The distress that I see in my brother, I am recognizing it as distress because I experience it in myself. Exactly. So I take my distress and I offer it to the Holy Spirit. And as I am corrected, I offer up my brother for correction also through forgiveness. We both are forgiven and we both are released. It is not something I do. It's something, it's a gift. The Holy Spirit has on constant offer for all of us. And if I can truly accept that I am limitless, then I can accept that my brother is also. And that is what we're here for. Our function is to release the distress for replacement. And sometimes it's very hard to believe that if I offer my distress, my brother will be relieved also. But I have seen numerous times in my life where I have offered it and peace comes between us and also for that individual. And just because I cannot follow them through the day does not mean that the answer wasn't given. We are eternal beings. Time is a container. And as long as we believe in it, We are controlled by it, but it can be transcended. Hours can become simple moments, literally. And the closer we come to our own eternal awareness, the more we will see how easily time is transcended. It's it's a whisper. It's a gift. Does that help? And complete. Yes. When when you when you offer it to the others because it has been brought to you, just like you said, if you're seeing it in the others, it's in you. So now when you offer it to the others, now you have to be patient because you cannot order the Holy Spirit and them to get together for the wish that you have sent them. You must be patient and know that it will impinge at a time appropriate to their opening. And that's what I'm failing to understand. First of all, that I'm seeing it in myself and that the answer is the course, the Holy Spirit, and then patience and trust. I'm complete. 
and letting go of control, thinking that there is something I must do. I need do nothing. I need do nothing. You need to have the thought, but you don't need to try to control when it gets there. Yes, right. The Lovely, Anna. Is Thank sure. you so much, dear. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I finally got that this is why I need to do nothing. Uh, because after reading the section, I, it's like, oh, put two and two together. Um, I need to do nothing because I would do something with my body somehow. And that's the nothing I need to do because that's the illusion. But what I am being, I need be something, which is forgiveness for myself, accepting. It's a three-in-one forgiveness of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit um, for myself. And, and then my brother will release and feel that too in divine right timing. Thank you. I'm complete. Thank you. Thank you, Ida. That was beautiful. Thank you, Ida. Thank you, Ida. Thank you, Anna. Thank you, both of you. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Carl. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, John Boy. <laughs> All right, Reverend Regina, how about a gratitude prayer? Sure. <laughs> okay. Okay. We'll just uh, take a few moments and close our eyes, draw that awareness within. We enter into that stillness and silence where we let go of all our thoughts of what we should do, how we should do it. We need to do nothing. We can let go because the answer is right there always for the asking. I need but call and you will answer me as our lesson says today. Now I've learned today that before... Before I can attack anyone, I must first believe that I deserve attack. (laughs) Otherwise, the idea of attack would never occur to me. What would be the benefit? Yet, if I believe the same sins of myself are forgiven, would I still see the sins of my brother? Quote, Why are they real in him if you did not believe that they are your reality? Only the self-accused condemn. You never hate your brother for his sins, but only for your own. Whatever form his sins appear to take, it but obscures the fact that you believe them to be yours and therefore meriting a just attack. If sins are seen as actions and bodies act, then bodies are at fault and must be accused and condemned. Since the mind does not act and I believe I deserve attack, then I must believe that I am a body. Now I give my body purpose, which acts instead of my mind. 
and the mind is now prisoner of the body, taking orders from its jailer. How insane is this? I've disavowed who I truly am and have accused myself of sins I thought I did. It seems to me that I always attack out of a sense of guilt. Once I forgive, which is to see with the eyes of love what is truly happening, then my innocence returns and the innocence of my brother as well. And there is nothing to attack. There is no sin, no guilt. I recognize again reality. So we pray. Father, Mother, God, I have mistakenly believed I was a body and condemned myself to its commands and condemned my brother as well. And I hated my brother for sins I thought were mine as well. Remind me again what is real about who I am and who my brother is. I have forgotten. Help me to see what is truly happening when I lash out at my brother. Now I remember the lesson you've given me today through Elder Brother. I need but call, and you will answer me. You tell me to release the image I have of myself. Quote, only the self-accused condemn. When I have opened to remembering I am as you created me, I will release my condemnation on myself and my brother, for we are one. And you tell me today, quote, you will not want to hold in guilt your chosen enemies, nor keep in chains to the illusions of a changing love the ones you think are friends. The innocent release and gratitude for their release. And what they see upholds their freedom from imprisonment and death. You tell me, open your mind to change. And there will be no ancient penalty exacted from your brother or from yourself. And so it is. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Reverend Regent. Yeah. Thank you, Reverend Amen.